Hello, good evening, and welcome to the latest episode of The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, THFC Steph, and tonight we're going to be looking back on what just happened at White Hart Lane, the new White Hart Lane, a sponsor would get their name called here every week, Lane, between our mighty Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester United, which ended in a 3-1 victory for Manchester United. So I guess it wasn't so mighty for us again this weekend, but we'll be discussing it and you'll hear everything we have to say. We will also be discussing the story which broke in The Athletic this weekend, that bastion of online sports journalism, about Kane wanting to leave if we do not qualify for the Champions League. How reliable does this story look to be? And what has been the impact of COVID on our finances? Who could afford him? And does this suggest that Kane has lost faith in Jose Mourinho's ability to take the club forward? We'll be getting stuck into that a little later. Uh, Before we get started, we've got a small favour to ask. If you listen to this pod on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, you be doing us a huge favour if you'd spend five minutes or even 10 seconds leaving us a review. It really helps spread the word about the pod and pick up new listeners. And thanks to everybody who's already done this, uh, we'll be sending Moby around to thank you all personally during the close season. <laughs> that is a very generous offer, and you should all recognise that. Before we meet tonight's team, Gareth, Milo and Moby, I'm going to ask each of them a vital question we need to know the answer to. What was the last movie that you saw and would you recommend it? Gareth, we haven't heard from you for some time, so you get the first start. Hello, mate. How are you? Thank you very much. Good evening, Steph, and good evening, uh, everybody else. I think the last film I watched, I'm going back a couple of years. You know, I'm I'm part of the modern generation where we only watch things on Netflix and series now. I think the last film I watched was Dunkirk um, in the cinema. Very good film. Very harrowing. Learned a lot about history. Um, would definitely recommend it. Excellent. Very good. Uh, Milo, good evening, my friend. Good evening. What cinematic pleasures have you indulged yourself in? I I like to indulge myself a couple of times each weekend, and um, the last film I watched was Palm Springs, which just just come onto Amazon Prime here in the UK, and I really enjoyed. It's really good. Excellent. And Moby, a man I know likes to indulge himself on a regular basis. Uh... Yeah, so you've thrown me under a bus a little bit with this one after we sort of finished strongly last week talking about, you know, great De Niro and Pacino films. Um, I suddenly thought when I got the question, what was the last thing I watched? And I was like, oh, shit, I spent 16 quid on iTunes two days ago to hire Godzilla versus Kong. So I've gone extremely highbrow there, guys, and watched a big monkey beating up a big dinosaur. Oh, did the monkey win? Six out of ten. Uh, the monkey had an axe, which I, I thought didn't really help. But then the dinosaur had like really bad breath, lazy breath. So yeah, I, I can't say who won, can I? Because that kind of fucking spoils it a bit, doesn't it? Well, a gorilla doesn't really spoil need an axe. People. I mean, it's you know, when you've got a film with that powerful and emotional ending, I can't go and give the ending away, can I? Powerful emotional endings, but you spent sixteen quid on it and don't want to give it away. So you're saying that we should be renting this, right? I would probably wait till it's on uh, Netflix or something. Okay, we'll leave it there. It's one of these things where, you know, because you can't go to cinemas at the moment. And I used to like going to the cinema. It was a nice way of escaping, you know, from the the joys of family life for a couple of hours. Because you can't do that, I'm missing it. And they keep branding it with the, you know, bring the cinema home to yourself and watch it on your home theatre and give us a shed load of money and we won't give you any popcorn or ice cream. So, uh, so yeah, on that basis, I, I got sold too. And I was happy to be sold too because I got to lock the door and have a bit of peace and quiet for two hours. Excellent. Well, uh, cheating as I always do on this because I'm going last so I can. And uh, I mean, I just have to say at this point that I watch The Brothers Grimsby on probably a bi-monthly basis. Uh, it is a, it is just such glorious humour and just such, just so funny and so utterly, utterly out there. Uh, I, it never fails to make me laugh. But the last film I watched was Bunch of Kunst which is the Sleaford Mods documentary. And I would absolutely recommend it wholeheartedly. It's really, it's really well done and uh, an excellent portrayal of who they are. And, and really interesting. It's kind of fun. I would recommend that for sure. I, I have to go a little off-piste again for a minute, boys, because something did come up and it's not in our script and we didn't even discuss it beforehand. But, you know, it's our weekly thing. and We just must say it again. The people who were racially abusing Sun and raised their filthy heads above you know the precipice to do so again it's it just i don't know when this is going to end i don't know how it ends but hopefully if we mention every weekend that we are not 
you know, this is intolerable. I certainly got onto Twitter, which I rarely do, and complained uh, uh, very quickly. And I saw several members of our tribe did the same. And I think it's got to be done. But, you know, we just have to note this is this something has to be done. Swansea and, and Rangers have um, done a seven day uh, social media blackout, haven't they, in response to uh, kind of racial abuse of their players. And I, th- I think that ought to become sport wide. Um, I think all of the clubs should do that. I think kind of sports media should follow suit, and I think if it happened, I think we should be doing the same as well. Well said, and uh, and, and and I think we will leave it there and hope that you know. Well, let's just hope this doesn't become a, a weekly part of of our pod. Yeah. But I'll tell you this: yeah. I feel as long as it happens, we have a duty to make it uh, so and and to denounce it. So, just one other thing, Steph, quick, just briefly: is they, uh, there's always going to be idiots out there. There's always going to be idiots who are looking for a stage to spout idiotic rubbish i don't you know you can't you can't change that but i think what we do expect to the social media companies is they deal with it promptly so where this happens they take it down really quick and they ban them well said absolutely agree okay well having dealt with that again very important matter we'll move on to the game first game at home for 30 days i believe today we've been away an awful lot is it really apparently so good grief doesn't (laughs) doesn't time fly when you're having fun yeah quite exactly Looking at the first half of this game, I'm going to kick off by saying I thought the players put in a really good stint and showed really good heart and spirit and effort. Uh, Milo, why don't you why don't you, you know, kick us off from that perspective and see if you agree? <laughs> so I thought the first half was better, or certainly better than it was you know, Newcastle last week weekend. Um, there was a better shape to the side. Uh, we were pressing, which we, we haven't seen for a while. It's something they clearly worked on. Uh, whereas previously, you know, despite what the manager m- might claim or, you know, shout from the sidelines, there was, there was no sign of there actually being any shape to the team before that. But there was today. I don't think we were, I don't think we were that great in, in that I think both sides cancelled each other out a bit in the first half. So, you know, I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say we were on top. And I think, you know, we all agreed that we were a little fortunate for them to have the goal disallowed. So, you know, if that goal stands, then it feels like a very different first half and we'd, we'd probably be viewing it in a different light. But there were certainly positives there. Um, as I said, we were pressing, there was a better shape. The team looked, looked, it looked like we'd spent the week on the training ground well in the first half. Six out of ten, yeah, six and a half out of Gareth, ten. What, I mean, you know, what were your initial thoughts when you saw the lineup, especially? Uh, you know, you saw the way we shaped up. You saw the way that defensive line was was shifted again and 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 put together in a fashion that we haven't seen this season. So maybe uh, you know, explore from that angle. I'm afraid I'm a bit meh as soon as I see the team lineup at the moment. I've, I've got no idea what our best eleven is or our best shape is. So at the moment, they're just eleven names on a team sheet. I think as long as Kane's there and as long as fully fit, fit um, Sun is there. And, you know, Bregelon is there. Hoiberg and Dombele, probably the five. Once you get beyond those five, though, I, I really couldn't tell you the other six who mm. should be in the team or not. I agree. I, th- I thought we looked okay whilst it was nil-nil. And I think when we went one-nil ahead, we were we were actually playing playing the, playing the game well. Um, we were playing the dark arts well. We were going down when we needed to, to go down. Mm. But you could see the instant that United equalised, the confidence just drained from us. So whilst there might have been a plan that was being followed when it was okay for us and at nil nil and one nil, as soon as it went went to one one, we were just waiting to be beaten. And that's the story of our season, isn't it? Yeah, for me, I, I find it I find it really hard to be um, to, to say something different each week. And, and actually, I'm finding it hard to be constructive in a way because I can't focus on the games at the moment. I, I just find myself getting distracted because we're not really doing anything, you know. Well, let, let 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 me help you a bit and sort of hone in on my initial point, which I think's got lost a little bit in discussion as these things will. But my my, my initial point was that I felt take the coaching away, take all of that away, and just maybe looking at the eleven players who were out there. Did you feel that they were working hard trying playing with some pride really trying to put their shift in doing the best they could with the tools they've been given that week whatever those tools were did you did you get that sense in the first half no no I didn't I didn't really um I've got a theory that I've kind of floated with you guys before which is I think at the moment we're going through a phase of doing just enough we're kind of you know we're turning up for work we're, we're clocking our ticket we're doing our shift handing our work in at 5.30 and we're buggering off home. Um, we're not doing anything spectacular. They're not looking like their coach, like we've got a pattern of play, like a game plan. It's just, I'm going to try and turn up. I'm going to try not to make any mistakes. I'm going to play quite neutral 
and safe and a little bit conservative and fundamentally will probably get beat. But as long as I'm not the one, you know, putting myself in a player's shoes here, as long as I'm not the one that makes the, you know, the dramatic cock up, I'm not going to get called out for it. I'll probably play next week and I'll just do the same. I think Milo said six and a half. He read my mind. That's kind of, I think we, we peaked at six and a half. We probably then, mm-hmm. as the game rolls on and coasting, it starts to get a little bit harder to do and you get more exposed in the latter parts you know, of a game. We just coasted down, I think, to a lower score. Um, but again, yeah, I just find it really hard, as I was saying, to actually say anything too constructive about what we're trying to do because I can't really tell what we're trying to do. And I end up, you know, just having a look at my phone and looking at some people, you know, raving on Twitter because it's more entertaining than the football. And that's a bit of a damning indictment. Yeah, I think we were a little better than that in the first. I think in the first, there was a shape in the first half. So I think I think you could see what we were trying to do, but it's uh, it, it certainly disappeared in the second half. If this had been early in the season, I would have been relatively encouraged by the first half performance. But I think it's too late in the day for that. And I think, um, you know, where this ends has already been decided. Gareth, you know, you're someone who has been around the the training pitches at the club a little more than most of us over the years. Again, I'm going to stick with this idea of what the players are feeling right now, what you see the players are feeling. And did they look like a side that felt they'd been put out with a very, very uh, cohesive, well-thought, and 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 I know passionate maybe the word or you know involved plan or did they look like professionals as Moby said you know kind of a little bit above the average but ultimately sort of thinking well we'll do what we can but we're not really we're not really too sure what is going on at the end of the day here I think ultimately they look like a team who lacked belief they did have a plan and I think whilst whilst the game plan was following the one that they had prepared for it was all it, it was okay the moment man united equalized and and look, I mean this flip this from a from a man united perspective this goes sort of full gary neville and martin tyler here united weren't very good in the first half they they had a bit of the ball second mm. half they really stepped up a couple of gears and we just couldn't live with them once they got once they clicked into sort of fourth and fifth gear we couldn't get anywhere near them and it really exposed us and our lack of a plan once we had the ball and we were just unable to um, to get out of the mode that we'd been in for the first 50 minutes or so of the game. I have to ask you right on that point because I think it's a great point but what I can't wrap my head around and what I'd like your guys' help in trying to ascertain is they certainly were dominant in the second half Manchester United and we certainly did look like we didn't have the gears to step up but how much of this is psychological? How much of this really is in our minds? How much of this would be changed with belief? Would be changed with a purpose? purpose a sense of identity and I know we banged on about this last week but a little more belief from uh, it within would we have got swamped so quickly it's muscle memory isn't it we're so used to this we're so used to teams coming at us we're so used to uh, conceding that it's become a default for the team you know how many times have we seen this where we did all right in the first half we weren't great but we did all right but you know were United great in the second half or did we let them play United have got some good players but they're not a great team muscle memory is a good phrase to use and from United's perspective they know what it's like to go 1-0 down particularly away from home and they know exactly what they've got to do to turn it around and they've done it so many times that for them it felt a very very natural psychology to be in that we're 1-0 down we haven't played well we need to make sure we get out and we score the next goal and actually if we do that we'll probably go on 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 a win it and I think we saw the exact reverse from us I was racking my brain to the amount of times that we've gone into a lead been pegged back and then not been able to go and retake a lead I mean actually when I thought about it we did it against Palace um, last month and we did it against Brighton but for, for each one of those we can I think there were five or six occasions where we've been pegged back and we've just not then been able to step up the gear again I think that Palace one I think we were probably lucky at the time that they scored if, if that had been one minute the other side of the half then it probably would have been a different game but them scoring just before half time gave us a chance to reset and come out and all guns blazing I think it's it's the players when they're left on their own that really struggle I do think that Mourinho sent a message from the bench so bringing on Sissoko at the point he did I do think sends a message to the players that we're going to sit back and we're going to try and soak it up and ride it out whereas if he made a more positive change I think that sends the other message and I think you know we might respond accordingly definitely it was where where we were going to end up so I'm going to go I'm going to go all in on that and uh, number one uh, I don't think there's any doubt you're right we were having a little discussion post-match pre-recording here and that uh, veritable uh, font of reliable non-sensationalist non-tabloid-esque uh, information Sky Sports um, who have never been known to sensationalise anything I just want to re-emphasise that did come up with one of their lovely little stat boxes uh, shaky spurs you know nice little title slightly alliterative we like that good job Sky scored first 
19 times second in the league, ahead at half time, 16 times second in the league, failed to win when ahead at half time, seven times Premier League ranked 20th. Points dropped from winning positions, 18, and that equals 19th. Points dropped in the last 10 minutes, 11th, 11, so 20th. I mean, there's some fairly damning uh, statistics there. But as Milo and I were talking about, you do need to offer context. And the context surely starts to come from the point that you were just making, Milo. And I'm going to throw this ball to you, Moby. When you're Sonny, <laughs> when you're pick a player, when you're in Dombele and you look and you see that the teammate that is coming on when the game is there to be won is Musa Sissoko, what are you thinking? Yeah, you're just thinking we're shooting up shop, aren't you? You're just looking around and you're looking at the team shape and how that's going to adapt as a result of it. And you're seeing, right, we're going solid in the middle, but we're losing the ability to pass or transition forward. You know, the only caveat to that would be in the past, we've seen Sissoko go on those barnstorming crazy runs, um, which obviously is Lucas's role nowadays. But uh, Sissoko doesn't seem to have a license to do that uh, under the current sort of situation. So, so yeah, for me, I'm, I'm just looking at that going, right, I'm, you know, I'm not seeing Gareth Bale ahead of me. I'm not seeing Deli Alley ahead of me. So I'm just going to keep it safe as well. Yeah, and we're just going to lock it down. Yeah, I mean, do you think the players are thinking the same as you were when you put up, uh, you said, I mean, you went out on a Peter Dinklage length limb to say that you thought we were going to lose at 1-1. I mean, do you think the players are thinking the same i'm just just enjoying getting all these uh, predictions correct well i you know is this the only thing that's keeping me going through this uh shower of shit that we're putting up with at the moment no yeah I, I, yeah i do i do i think you know i've heard a few people talking about this this week from a psychology perspective and you know you've seen it happen mm. time and time again and you're going to go into the last 15 minutes safe in the knowledge that every bloody game we play with so as it feels we let at least one goal in here or whatever our winning position is we will negate it mm. and then have it overturned and it is in the back of your head you know if you get burgled every time you go out of the house the next time you go out of the house you're going to be worried about being burgled and that's what that's what's in the players heads yeah and i don't want to go down obviously what needs to be done but we had a similar thing with avb a few years ago where we were letting in late goals and there's a famous story love him or loathe him where he got them all in, put them under pressure, worked on it, got them tired, and then did a special drill to actually put them under pressure when they were exhausted to try and you know um, recreate those sort of impact. And we yeah, and we, we 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 stopped that problem. We, we solved it. But I'm not seeing that now. We just keep doing the same thing again. And our, our solution seems to be well, oh well, if it was Sanchez's fault last week let's bomb him out. Or it was Tanganga's fault, let's bomb him out as well. And Aurier, who we bombed out three weeks ago, well, he can come back in again now because it's, you know, sort of the, the bomb squad is just going in rotation. I can't think of another manager who tries to see out a game by surrendering possession. So you've got, we've got a shaky defence. We know that, you know, the defenders are going to know that. You're Eric Dyer. You've had a tough old season. You've you've been, to put it your way, Steph, he's been getting pelters off the fans. And then you see Musa Sissoko coming on. You think, oh God, I'm going to, you know, this is going to be the hardest half an hour or 20 minutes, however long it was, um, you know, the game, because it's going to be constant. You know, most managers try to, you know, and Mourinho used to try to do this, you know, rest in possession. You know, you bring on a passer and try and pass the game out. Well, possibly the worst bit about that substitution is that he's not just bringing on a player who is not especially known for advancing your attacking course per se, but he's bringing on a player whose confidence he's actually managed to considerably not. Let's talk about um, Manchester United coming into this game specifically against us. They had good motivation after the 6-1 defeat. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who, by the way, I want to go on record as saying I always felt could turn out to be a good manager for them and I still believe will. I think he's the right man for that job and I think he's done an extremely good job up there. He did a little bit of pre-trash talking which I thought was interesting when he uh, talked about, you know, the importance of not getting conned by our players. Again, I felt that he was perfectly within his rights to say that because there's no doubt that Eric Lamella shithoused ascending off at Old Trafford. No two ways about it. Uh, and then we ended up with a very controversial moment in the game around the halfway, half hour mark, I believe, uh, when McTominay, who had been putting in some crunchy challenges, it must be said, and was riding a card at that time, pushed off Sonny, who had taken a little grab at him. Um, I think it was a flick out of the hand, hit Sonny in the face, who went down as though the proverbial sniper was in the stands. Manchester United go on to score what I thought was actually a, an excellent goal. In my football logic, should have, should have stood, but it's brought back and so on and so forth. Let's talk a little bit about Sonny's gamesmanship there. 
dive gamesmanship I, I, you know we'll call it what we will is this being a clever cant or is this just something we really would like to not see you can see across the league that players now know how to play the VAR system so whether it's because they think they've been fouled in the penalty area or whether they think they've been fouled in a build up to to the other team scoring they know what they have to do they have to just stay on the floor they have to make sure that the VAR official is very aware that something may have happened and just put that doubt in the mind and you saw it Rashford had done it maybe two or three minutes before that that he thought he was fouled um, well I think he was fouled by Hoiberg albeit it was outside the area so VAR had no jurisdiction to do anything about it but he stayed on the floor for a while he pretended that he was injured and he made it something that it that, that it wasn't and that's exactly what Sun said and we, we actually discussed on the WhatsApp group and going back a few weeks you might remember when we lost at West Ham they scored a goal very early on when Suchek absolutely clattered into Reguilon who got up straight away and then, def- and then in defending that cross it then doesn't become an issue VAR's got no interest in it so Sun done just what I think most Premier League players are now starting to do I don't think there's specific to our club I don't think it's specific to our manager or specific to the opponent or to the players just teams know how to do it it will work for us it will work against us I agree with that we've been on the wrong end of it uh, from United plenty of times in the past uh, so I don't feel too guilty about 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 it. I mean, in the end, it made no difference to the results. So there's not really much to feel guilty about anyway, is there? But we've been cheated by United countless times. So I don't, I don't feel bad about that. And if it had been the other way around, Roy Keane would be talking about it being winning mentality rather than cheating. I, I think as well. This is just a currency of big teams. Yeah, I don't think anyone actually cares whether Lamella rolled around or Son rolled around <laughs> or Rashford rolled around. It's just, how can I get a minute advantage? It's, you know, like... Mm. Did, did I put the ball slightly forward on the penalty spot? No one really cares about it. It's just working the angles across the game. But us as fans get all worked up about it because we can see it and feel it. The, the one thing I would like VAR to do, and I think is probably the best way of putting a stop to this, is for VAR to look at things where players don't go down. So shortly after that, there was, I think Kane was in the box and they were, they were lunging in at him and, and snapping at his ankles. And he, he could have jumped on the ground. He probably would have got a penalty for it because they were definitely kicking him and not making contact with the ball. He stayed on his feet. And what I would like to happen is for VAR to look at all of those decisions and, and for players not to have to dive in order to get uh, an advantage. I think it's a great point. Uh, they're all great points. Uh, I completely agree. I mean, do we, in closing off this little topic, I mean, do we think there's maybe a little bit too much virtue signaling from some, some of us about like, oh, well, we don't want to be seen as being unfair. So yes, our guy shouldn't be diving. And I've, I don't condone that. But if he got away with it, well, he did get away with it, I suppose. But yeah, you know, do you think there is this culture of like, we feel that we have to step up and like, yes, it's it's bad. It's like, you know, when Bale used to get chopped down and people were like, oh, well, he shouldn't dive. And half the time he was mm. trying to avoid getting his ankle broken. I think we all agree that the goal should have stood today, but maybe we're flapping a little too hard over, over you know, what Sonny did. I think it's football fans. We're just the world's biggest hypocrites. We, we, we literally, it's one-eyed tribalism. If somebody taps our player on the ankle, it's absolute <laughs> so world war true. too. Um, and yeah. if our, if Hoybier... <laughs> bashes somebody on the ankle because you just see it through different you see it through different eyes you, you you're putting yourself in the body of the person that's either the, the kicker or the kicky well i personally have never indulged in that sort of hypocritical behavior <laughs> and i'm not a football hypocrite in any way shape or form so uh, i deny that repeatedly <laughs> yes my wife will tell you different <laughs> I, I do think the way to deal with this though is for far to pick up on you know players not to have to dive in order to get a decision and you know yeah. you quite you quite often see it you know a striker stays on their feet to get a, to get a shot away and they could have been hacked on the way down but they never go back and take the foul you know take the foul if they get the shot away you're not going to get the penalty and that's the wrong way around you shouldn't have to Mm. go to ground in order to get those decisions yeah and it's strange isn't it because you can play advantage for for ages can't you i mean gareth you keep me honest on this is it Certainly, back in the day when I was a youngster, um, there was some there was rumour that the advantage rule could be played for something like up to ninety seconds after the incident. I think until it's 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 credible, really. I, there's no specific time limit on it. It just never seems to get really used more than one or two seconds. When sometimes you know a move takes longer than that to pan out. I think it probably always feels longer than it than it than it actually is. But I mean, there was an incident yesterday. I don't know if it got picked up in the Liverpool Villa game. I think it was Trezeguet, the Villa winger, thought he was fouled by a Liverpool defender, and the foul. Actually he took him off the pitch and into the advertising hoardings. So in initially pretending to be injured, he then crawled back onto the pitch, which prevented the goal kick being taken so that VAR could have a think about it. So if he'd stayed off the pitch and the goalkeeper had taken the goal kick and the referee hadn't stopped it, VAR can't then interfere then because play has, has continued. So players must be spoken about it. Let me ask you a direct question, Gareth. This is for you because I think you're best place to answer it. Do you think 
that it's possible that our coaching staff are now starting to coach the team no. how to, to play to VAR? <laughs> Do you think that happens? If you think our coaching staff are teaching our players anything, then they will be talking to them about that. The players will be talking amongst themselves about that. Players in all 20 Premier League clubs will be talking about yeah. that on a daily, if not weekly basis. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you think back to earlier in the season when we had those, when the handball rule was different or the application of the hand rule was different, you still see our players with their hands behind their backs every time someone's in the box. And you don't see that with every club in the in the league. So, you know, that's clearly been trained into our players. But I think think that's probably putting us at a disadvantage because, you know, your balance is different. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that, because actually, you know, physically playing with your hands behind your back, you you, you aren't as balanced, you aren't as centred. So the ability to go left or right to defend Mm. is slightly compromised. So that actually says to me that, you know, the, 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 the VAR risk, the VAR penalty risk is so great. We're actually ranking that as more of an issue than having to defend. But I think I think that was earlier in the season when they were applying the rule differently yeah definitely yeah it was it was a bigger issue then let's look at Luke Shaw for a moment I think he's an interesting player given that he is a bridge between the two clubs for this particular manager did we see any difference in his performance today from when he was playing under our manager at his club and do we think that there is a player at our club currently even in our starting 11 today who would similarly benefit from a change of that nature Um, I mean I've not followed his career that closely he clearly has been in a lot of good form and he's made the probably the England left-back position his own now. I mean, he was also the same Luke Shaw that six months ago looked pretty horrific against us when we beat them 6-1. So, I mean, he's, 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 not, he's, not, the, he's not the full meal, is he? Um, but he's definitely a better player now than he was a couple of years ago, but perhaps he's just naturally matured. I think he was really badly treated by Mourinho and the singling out. Yeah, I'd, Obviously, you don't follow United as closely as you do your own club, but from what I saw, the singling out of, uh, of Luke Shaw by Mourinho was, was pretty shocking, and I think it, it must have had an impact on his confidence and his development at that time. Are there similar players who could blossom? He hasn't singled out players publicly to quite the same degree as he did when he was at United. That's fair enough. When he's criticised players, he's been collective rather than individuals, hasn't That's he? That's a very fair point, yeah. I would agree with that. But there's there's also clearly players whose form is suffering, whether that's because of that criticism or because of lack of game time. Bergwin would yeah. be probably the first one that would spring to mind for me. He looked like a pretty promising player. He was in reasonably good form earlier in the season. I think this his struggles in front of the goal and the criticism from the fans must have hurt, but also you know, not even making the matchday squads at the moment uh, uh, must also have had an impact. And it, it's a bit sad that he removed all of his Spurs content from his Instagram account he clearly doesn't look like a very happy player at the moment so maybe that's our our Luke Shaw for for next season or or that's a a fantastic call and as you know we've discussed this off pod I mean we've discussed the trajectory of his career and I think it's one that we'll safely put in the uh, in the hopper the notes hopper for a future a future pod because it deserves a lot more investigation in my opinion the other one who's almost or I almost forget about is Ryan Sessegnon who Mm -hmm. you wonder whether he's gone out on loan because Mourinho didn't fancy him and he looked like a very timid player didn't he last year when he did play barring that goal in Bayern Munich and he, he came with such high potential and we'd scouted him for such a long time that clearly he's got a very, very high ceiling. I'm not actually sure that he's playing regularly for Hoffenheim at the moment. He is, yeah. He's, he's had a couple of injuries, but he's playing, when, when fit, he's playing most of the time. And he's playing quite well for when I've watched them. He, he still looks like a timid player. So I don't know whether it's just a confidence thing. You know, maybe it's just his character. That That's the kind of player normally where you'd, you'd hope that a loan move, particularly to a foreign country, would help him develop. A further question for you guys, and again, this isn't on the script, but we are going to get into something that the Athletic wrote about Harry Kane, they also produced what I found to be a fascinating story, both in timing and content, about Mourinho's time at Manchester Mm. United. So here's a quizzer for you. Who's talking... Why are they talking? And do you think that there's more than one source in British football right now who would be happy to see him on his way out of the Premiership? The Athletic article on his time at, at Man United clearly had multiple sources. I'm assuming that that isn't something that's been knocked up in the last couple of days. It read to me like something that they've been working on for a while. And it was a fascinating read. It was outstanding, wasn't it, really? Do you think that there's sources from each club who bounce off yes. each other? Yes, and people who've left the club. 
There was also a really interesting piece in The Athletic about Pochettino um, around the time of the PSG Bayern game last week, around how thorough he was. And uh, the thing that struck me was around kind of the medical science angle in both of them. So in the Pochettino one, they were saying that they were taking uh, swabs, uh, oral swabs of the players every single day and then testing those to find about find out about their fitness levels and then tailoring ta- uh, training based on that. And then in the Mourinho one, it said that he pretty much dismantled the sports science uh, department at Manchester United and he's done the same with us and that he relies on his view of whether a player is fit or not and you know again that ties in with what we saw around the you know the comments around Ben Davis and you know what we saw with Sonny in the uh, in all or nothing and what we're seeing on the pitch is with with Reggion right now we've all speculated uh, as to the fact he's not playing with the bizarrely you'd probably say that we've had less injuries this season than we've had under previous seasons under Pochettino uh, you know maybe it's just luck but we don't seem to be doing too bad on the injury front do we think that when the players get together on international breaks as they as they they did recently uh do, i mean do you think that the united boys and 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 and, and our boys you know in the changing room do you, do you think that they're like oh is he still doing that up there with you lot and they're like well he is it's like wow it's a bit of a bugger isn't it i mean does that kind of stuff happen do you think 100 percent. i'm sure that happens you know i'm in any walk of life you know i've seen that i've got mates that have you know left working for my company gone to a competitor or whatever you all meet up in the pub what's the first thing that comes out oh it's great here oh yeah it's still shit where i was it before you know you all talk about who's there who's not the athletic article i just wanted to come back to you on that actually i had a good read of that this morning when i spotted it um and it's the one where it's talking about sort of a, a, a silver hair, you know, sort of rampant Mourinho. I, I've got this visual image of him kind of wandering the corridors of Old Trafford and Carrington picking fights. You're back with to Kong versus Godzilla, aren't you? And, oh, well, no, I was going to go to a different one, actually. <laughs> but yeah. He did make it sound like a silverback. You actually, I'm thinking to myself, it's a silverback. He's describing a silverback. No, I was going, I was going for a... <laughs> Just, just stick a pin in that for a minute. Because I was going somewhere there before you, before you typed in. I, I wasn't just randomly going off on a sort of some sort of weird reminiscence about my views on Mourinho wandering the halls at night of uh, of Carrington and getting him roused and shouting at people. But no, it just really reminded me of a TV character, um, Peter Capaldi as Malcolm Tucker. And oh, I, and I called, I called him the Portuguese it. Nosferatu a few months ago. Now I'm, I'm reneging <laughs> on that. He's the I could just see him as the Portuguese Malcolm Tucker, just laying oh, into people, f word is rants. I love it. Yeah, everyone hates him. Scared when he walks in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, lads, we're doing it. Done it. We've now. got to. We've got to put the handbrake on and not go down this avenue as tempting as it is because we are doing it. We've got to get out of it. I mean, it's so. Look, I mean, again, we're really close to admitting that each week. There is a dominant story, but let's backtrack because there will be another dominant story we're getting into. But Malcolm Tucker will be discussed in the future. I, I, I personally, I, I love it. I love that. But I, look, as we draw this to a close, let me just throw this out. Could we see the benefit of a week on the training ground in today's game? Um, yeah, in the first half, I think you could. But the old habits are, are, are so ingrained now. I don't think that can be coached out of us, or at least not by this manager. I, th- I think we need a drastic change in order for that to change. And I think I think that's what's coming. What really stood out was, I, th- I think we'd all agree that our squad and United squad on paper is probably pretty similar. But seeing the way that they could attack and that they had patterns of play and they, they knew what they were doing in the final third, particularly in the second half, it really exposed the fact that we didn't have that and quite clearly we had worked on things in the week perhaps things when we didn't have the ball we certainly hadn't done any work on what we did do when we had the ball when we were getting to the edge of their penalty area Gareth I think you made an excellent point um, on the chat earlier on where you were saying this is the same Spurs team and the same Manchester United team that um, played each other earlier in the season when we absolutely walloped them what you've seen since is the difference in coaching between the two sides yeah we have and we haven't even he hasn't even got the excuse over Solskjaer that we've had midweek games every week and we've not been able to do anything. Because whilst I think there is some mitigation with that, United have played every midweek as well. Yet yeah. what you've seen there is a development in their in their style of play and their attacking principles. And you just we we've regressed if anything. And, and I think they've played as many games this season as we have now. So I think a few weeks back we'd played the most games in Europe. I think they've caught us up now. Before we move on to our next section, we'll do I think our closing thoughts: one positive, one negative. In 30 seconds, Moby, I'm going to start with you if you're... Uh, Positive, I got my pre-match prediction last week correct. So uh, so that was a big win for me. And um, negative, 
No, I haven't, really got, I haven't really got a negative. I'm going to say another positive. We're, we're one game closer to the end of Mourinho's reign. So actually, yeah, let, let me have that as my positive. Gareth? No, well, you, you're just taking the words out of my mouth there, Moby. The positive is that it's, well, it's, it's one game closer to the end of the season. And, and if ever there was a time when we really looked forward to a European Championships, it was this summer because it means there won't be any more Premier League for, for a couple of months. Negative was... It was it, it, the, the the negative for me was that no individual player was dreadful today. There were no real individual errors. It was just systemic problems across the whole team today. Milo, yeah, I'd agree with that. Positive, I suppose. So I've mentioned this several times. I think how we started the game, there was a bit of pressing. There was a bit. The shape looked a little bit better to begin with. Negative, same old frailties there. And to say, I think the one I mentioned last week that still stands, Reguillon, looks like he's still carrying an injury. Uh, the positive for me was we scored an absolutely beautiful goal. I thought it was wonderfully, wonderfully executed. Uh, superb uh, passing movement. Uh, Lucas's ball was uh, unlike him, actually. He was complete, completely unselfish and showed great vision. And the finish was absolute world class. And it gave you such a tantalising vision of what, of what we could be if we actually had a plan to get the ball forward rather than just getting it forward however we can. And and for me, the negative is actually that, you know, this collection of players, which I still believe is not as bad as some people are trying to tell us, are being assembled in a way by a manager that is sucking the, the joy out of it for me. And it shouldn't be that way. We have Deli Alley, we have, you know, <laughs> Gareth Bale, Sun Young, Sun Young Min, and we've also got Harry Kane. I mean, we've got Kane is in the form of his life. I mean, we should be we should be enjoying this on a champagne ride to at least next season's Champions League. And instead, the joy has been sucked out of it for me week after week. I will just close by saying that uh, giving the XG stats, I've become quite quite fascinated with these as the season's gone on. Our XG today was 0.92. And Manchester United's was 2.10. We each had 12 shots. We had three shots on target to Manchester United's seven. They had 53% possession to our 47. But what I find very significant is that we did not uh, really see much of Harry Kane today. I think he was very well marshaled and marked by, by Manchester United. They did a good number on him. He is, I think, probably the hottest, one of the, the hottest strikers in world football now beside Lewandowski. The world is quite obviously his oyster at this point. It's 28, prime time. And The Athletic, as we said at the top of the show, broke the story that he will look to seek a move from the club if we do not make the Champions League, which I think at this point would be an order of such height. I have never seen it happen before. I don't think it's going to happen. So according to The Athletic, we can look forward to Harry Kane looking to force a move through. You know, what makes this different, I think, is that the story was written uh, by um, Oliver Kay's name is on it, but Jack Pitbrook is the writer that, you know, tends to write the most about Spurs for The Athletic. And this is not a rag. The Athletic is a credible, uh, well-written publication. They don't say things without some substance, you know. So even though this tidbit has been doing the rounds every six months for what, several years, actually, I think for the first time, it's really getting some traction because, you know, it's come from somewhere. I think the last top player that we sold was Walker. Yeah, Kyle Walker. And that was with the caveat that there had been a falling out with the manager. Let's let's just analyze this story. Let's look at what it actually is rather than what the surface tells us it might be and you know first of all I mean Milo I'm going to start with you because I think the financial situation of the club in this COVID era is is, is very very um, pertinent to this analysis uh, you know give us a little picture of how you see it right now and give us a little picture of what you think Levy will demand and could realistically get in this in this market okay so um I'm going to recap, as you said, pretty much on something I said when we talked about COVID uh, a few months ago, um, because we talked then about the impact of COVID on the financial situation of the club. And this is pretty much the same situation. So, is, so this is great that I've got this question, because it means that I could um, hand in some homework that I'd done before. Um <laughs> So it takes, you know, it, t- it takes me back, um, 35 years. So the last, uh, full accounts that we've, uh, we put in, which is last April, we don't have the full impact of that. You're only missing a handful of games with the full stadium in 1819. 
uh, pre-tax profit was 87 million. Uh, it was down to a loss of 68 million in 1920. Revenue dropped by 69 million, which a drop of 15%. So it went from a club record of uh, 461 million to 393 million. And so after tax, our loss was 64 million. The main reason for that is a drop in TV revenue, which uh, had fallen 108 million. So it dropped by 44%. And the main reasons for that is that the um, kind of the previous se- previous season we'd had that amazing Champions League run, so that Champions League uh, r- money is just huge. It was approximately 147 million pounds that run got us, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so um, you know the drop in TV revenue was down 44 percent year on year, and obviously this year we've had no Champions League money at all, and we won't have any next year. Um, so that's really bad. Match day revenue last year. So you've got to, again, bearing in mind that we only saw um, lockdown happen in March. So within this accounting period, you've only really got a month where it's affected and there's only a handful of home games in that. But it was up 13 million, uh, which was 16% to 95 million. And commercial revenue was up. 19% to 162 million. COVID significantly impacted on us. We had five matches behind, uh, played behind closed doors that season. Uh, obviously, the retail stores are closed, uh, stadium tours, conferences are halted, all that kind of stuff. If you look at, you know, we've got, we have the concerts, and the uh, boxing matches and what have you all cancelled. Um, and we've already seen for this summer, say Guns N' Roses have pushed back their concerts to next summer. Um, you haven't got the NFL games. You know, so there's, there's lots of stuff beyond just the football that we're losing out on. So in this way, so the pandemic is significant the impact on the finances of the club. This is the first time we've recorded a loss since 2012. I feel like we've taken on more wages this year as well. I mean, I'm thinking back, probably Ericsson mm. leaving was probably the last decent yeah. wage earner. I'm not counting Gedson Fernandez into the equation, but we've gone out and put, took on seven players over the summer and only really Carl Walker-Peters went out who was probably on a YTS wage. Yeah, and if you look at, so we've got, was it three players who are going to be around the 200,000 a week mark? So uh, Son, Kane and um, uh, and Bale. This is one of the things that's changed at the club. Since our finances have got better, we've been trying to tie down aging players on big contracts, whereas previously our model was selling players for profit and reinvesting and those players we were reinvesting in would be on on lower wages. What do you think Daniel Levy would demand for Harry Kane, given the financial information that you've just imparted? I think we'd demand a world record fee. But I'm going to pin you to a number. 200 million, it seems to be the figure that everyone's quoting. Neymar went to from Barcelona to PSG for 198 million in 2017. And then the second okay. most expensive player in the world is Mbappe, uh, who went from Monaco to PSG for 163 million. Kane, I think, is a better player than Neymar. You, we see a player who's a number nine, a number 10. He can, he can drop deep. He can do everything, can't he? And there are players who are better at individual elements of the game than Kane, undoubtedly. But everything he brings, I don't think there's anyone close in the world at the moment. I think we demand a world record fee for him. So, Moby, where do you think Kane would be interested in going at this point in his career? And who do you think could afford that world record fee that we would demand? Because there's only going to be a few choices. Yeah, it's it's a lot narrower a field now, I think, as a result of uh, COVID. Um, although, you know, if people have got some money tucked away, that could bring them back into the market conversely. It's uh, it's obviously a strange market at the moment. So you've got to be looking at your uh, your oil doped company uh, uh, team sorry so Man City would to me be the obvious one um, there's talk obviously you know Haaland would be the the prime asset and probably cheaper and more gettable because he's currently being hawked around although I'm hearing Real Madrid is the uh, is his preferred destination um, and why you would prefer Madrid over rainy Manchester I'll never know but uh, to, to my mind there's a there's a big Aguero sized gap going to be opening up at Man City and they are sitting on pots of money so you know that does make them clearly a risk I think Harry's got a couple of mates up there from the England team it's a very low risk move you're not going out of the UK you haven't got to adapt to a new country um, obviously he's got a young family so you know I think staying re- you know, reasonably in the area would be attractive so I think you know if I had to put money on if if he left which is a separate question. But if he left, then City would obviously jump out. And then, you know, if you wanted to expand that out a little bit, Paris is probably fractionally nearer. Um, He's obviously got Pochettino there. And, you know, you're guaranteed to win some trophies as well. So they could afford him. Potentially, they might be losing uh, Mbappe or certainly having a bit of a reshape as well. So, So I see that one as more of a long shot. But I think to me, Manchester's a threat. But Clearly, this is opening us up for the other question about do we think he'll actually go? Well, we'll get to that question in time. We will. We'll get to that. I mean, Harlan looks like he's going to be available for kind of half 
you know, maybe less than that um, of the fee that we're talking about for Kane there. You know, I think he's got clauses in his contract. Actually, I think it's next summer, isn't it, that they come in that he can leave for an agreed fee and it's, it looks like quite low for a player of his quality. Yeah, and there's talk that they'll cash in this year. So, the, the, but, the, but there looks like there's room to move on that. What I was going to say on on PSG is that I'm, I'm not convinced that... French league titles you know everyone talks about kind of winning trophies winning medals I'm not sure about French league titles or French cups really cut it in that regard and maybe you know beating Shearer's record in the Premier League or beating Greaves record at Spurs is probably worth more to him than those so I think if you if you if you go to PSG I think you're putting it all in on the Champions League which feels quite risky to me whereas he could go to another club he could win domestic titles that actually mean something and still have a shot at the Champions League yeah it's the, it's the lull of Pochettino isn't it I wouldn't have really thrown them in if it wasn't for the fact that they've got money and they've got Poch. United want Haaland um, and they're silly enough to keep chasing him even if he's going somewhere else. You know, they did it with Sancho last year. I think Pep would covet Kane. Um, I think he sees Kane as somebody that would, would fit in, would play the role that he wants. He doesn't just want any old striker. You know, It's got to be somebody that can play his style of football as well and I, th- I think Kane could do that. The thing with City, though, is that they've never spent that kind of money before. Their record signing is um, Diaz on sixty-seven million. My biggest fear, Milo, is you know I'm the same as you. I think two hundred million. You know that was that. I've had that ingrained in my head for three years. That's the number. I don't think it is now. I think if Harry decides he wants to go and he knocks on Daniel's door, he starts putting pressure on. If City start putting pressure on at 150... I've got to hold it up for a minute because we're getting into another part which I do want to address, but I want to get Gareth's point in first because I do want to ask Gareth a question as to what this initial wave of, you know, if he left. Gareth, what would this? what does this story tell you about Harry Kane's relationship with Jose Mourinho. Does it tell you that he is sending a message via his emissaries that perhaps he's not satisfied with this guy anymore? Do you think that if the club were to bring in, for example, a Julian Nagelsmann who might be able to fashion an awful lot out of this squad with just three additions and a whole new burst of energy and proven champ... I mean, he's already done well in the Champions League for someone of his age. Do you think that that would be something that might satisfy Harry Kane. Okay, don't even go with that second part. Stick with the first part of what I'm asking, which is, do you think it's a message about his relationship with the manager? Because he has been very quiet and coy about it up until now. I I don't think it's specifically a message about Mourinho. It may well be, but I don't think we we know whether it's specifically about him. It may just be he's fed up with the way, the direction that the club's going in. If he goes, it's because he wants to win the biggest trophies. And he's not even going to be playing in the Champions League next year if he's playing for Spurs. My, I mean, I, I, th- I think it's a big indictment of Mourinho's tenure if Kane is now at this point where he wants to go because the one thing that Mourinho should have guaranteed for us, it should have been that instant success that would have kept the players like Kane and like Son, possibly Alderweireld, Lloris, who are at the peak of their careers. It would keep them happy because they know that success is instant. I think as much as Kane might love Spurs, what he doesn't want to be doing is getting behind another three or four year project that may or may not bring success in three or four years time because it'll be too late for him then. So I I don't think it's about Mourinho. And that does lead us into what we've already been uh you know sort of desperately trying to break ground on discussing before i dragged us back onto this which is you know and milo you brought up the point about the the jimmy greaves record you know we know that harry's well settled in the south he's got his family, he's a family man he just very very anchored in that sense but i mean do we really believe that breaking jimmy greaves's record is enough to keep him at the club and how hard would he push to go so he's always been quite open about the fact that if he thinks the club's moving forward, he's happy to stay. And I think that's even comes comes forward in the athletic story. I think they pretty much quote that. So if this story has come from his camp, and I think it's likely it, it did, the athletic aren't in the habit of, of printing clickbait and uh, the journalist who's written it is well placed. So I don't think it's that. I think it's come from Kane's camp. It signals that he's he's lost faith with Mourinho. And in terms of would he kick up a fuss, I don't think he would. I, yeah, he's got three years left to run on his contract, I, so he's not in a strong position bargaining-wise. I don't really see that he can he can force that. Levy has held off against players who have made things difficult. So if you think back to Modric when Chelsea were after him, uh, you know, Abramovich um, got him down to Monaco and onto his yacht and uh, and wooed him there and all the rest of it, and we held out against that. So that was far far. I can't see Kane doing anything like that. I can't see it. I can't see him being able to force a move this summer 
unless we need to sell because of our finances. And I think Levy being Levy, if a premiership club were in for him, I think he would put a a kind of surcharge on top of that in order to sell to a Premier League club. Uh, I think he'd probably prefer to sell to a European club for less money, again, same as he did with Modric, than he would to sell to a, you know what he would see as a direct rival. I think the bail thing worries me a little bit there, though. First time around, you know, um, I remember getting really dragged into the whole thing that, you know, Gareth loves it at Tottenham, his family's settled, they've just bought a new house, you know, he won't leave. I think there was an interview with Cliff Jones about a week before it all kicked off, and he was also saying the same thing. I've just been talking to Gareth, he loves it here. And then two weeks later, obviously Madrid turned the screw, and it all started starts going to hell and I think the problem there was once Bale put a put some pressure onto the club to say look actually I do really 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 want to go I don't think it needs to be worse than that you know Harry's got a great reputation he, he carries himself really well um, as soon as we did that as soon as Levy heard the word world record transfer fee he comes alive yes yeah, so th- there's a difference when a player wants to leave they either want to leave because there's a, sp- a specific place they want to go to so for Bale it was always about Real Madrid I know that Man United possibly came in and Real Madrid have got track record haven't they they've, they've got history for telling players to become unsettled, to put in your transfer requests, to say this to the media they put out through their mouthpiece, which is which is the marker. As far as we're aware at the moment, Kane isn't desperate to go and play for a specific club, or if that is the case, it, it's not out there at the moment. So it's not as if he is hell-bent on playing for Manchester City or he's hell-bent for playing for Pepe. It's just that he wants to realise his ambitions. And the sort of the media language as well, there seems to be sort of four tiers to when a player wants to go. So the first one is you hear that they're open to a move. Then you hear that they want to leave. And that seems to be the point that, or the narrative of the, the Athletic article is that Kane's saying that he wants to leave. The next point is that they're desperate or they're agitating for a move. And then the fourth one is the one that Berbatov and Modric did where they actually go on strike. As you, as you said, Levy's in a position of strength at the moment. He's got three years left on his contract. I would think what's more likely is that behind the scenes, there'll be conversations saying, look, stay for next year. If we get a bid from for X amount from X club in summer 2022, then we'll be we'll, we'll be open to it. I, I I agree with that. I think next summer's looks more likely, and maybe that wouldn't be a bad time for us to sell. The other th- point I was going to make on Bale to Madrid, the other thing that Madrid do is say that it's this summer or never. So if you've got a player who's absolutely set on going to Madrid and they say, you know, you've got to show your commitment to us, it's very, very difficult for that player. This is a little earlier as well in the cycle. With the Bale thing, it happened in the transfer window, or sorry, in the close season. With Kane, when I heard that, I'm, I'm thinking it's one of two things. It's either a cry for help, you know, around the Mourinho, as you said at the start, Steph, you know, are, are we going to put a little bit of pressure on or just, you know, Kane's letting people know he's not happy? Or is it putting in the groundwork and then if he's still not happy in two months' time when the season ends, then we're amplifying, you know, from that from that starting you, point. You guys know my take on this story this week uh, and we even debated whether it should be a, a big discussion this week, uh, a bit, uh, you know, uh, on this basis. I mean, I think that this is just a complete conflation of common sense aspects and facts. I mean, of course, Harry Kane is not going to want to sit out of the Champions League for, for two, three seasons in a row. This is not rocket science. I mean, and of course, he's going to question his position at the end of the season. He's 28 years old. And, you know, let's face it, the battering that he's taken, he's probably going to end up sitting a little further back and, and playing a little bit of a deeper role. So he is going to consider whether he's going to win things with us. I mean, this is just common sense. And it's really going to come down to whether, you know, the club think they can get away with with selling him as an asset and getting the money they feel that he warrants. I I, I think it's no more than that. I don't think I don't think if Daniel Lee if he gets offered 150, 160 million by, let's say, PSG, I don't think if he turns around to Harry Kane and says, hey, we're bringing in a project manager, but we've got this offer. I don't think Harry Kane is going to turn around and say, I don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. I think if he gets the chance to go to a Champions League club that looks like they could win the thing, he's going to take it at this point in his career. That, is that a, I mean, is, would that be a surprise? Is any of this a surprise? He's, he has to evaluate himself, right? But let me ask you this, fantasy football here for a second, and this is not on our script. Let's say he gets, let's say Daniel gets the offer, 160 million, one of the big clubs that will win their domestic league and make a run the Champions League. It won't be Man City, in my opinion, by the way, because I just don't think he can afford to sell domestically. I just don't think he can. That would be one step too far. Having said that, Haaland goes on the block for 110 million. Nagelsmann comes to Spurs and says, I want Haaland. <laughs> would that be a fair cop, Gov? Would you take that? 
if that if that was something that someone said to you, you know, genie in a bottle, okay, you can have this as one of your three Spurs wishes for the summer, would you take it? What, sell a 28-year-old and sign a 21-year-old who looks really, really hot. The question is, as it was put... Are we still talking about footballers there? <laughs> well, we're talking about the world, that possibly the world's greatest striker at this moment in time, who has probably got another two years of this peak-peak level in him versus, yes. I'm generally in favour of selling i think it's better to sell a season too early rather than a season too late i'd like us to see selling players at uh, you know close to their peak and reinvesting i would be quite open to selling sun for instance this summer i think this is the last summer we could get big money for him and signing him up to a big contract when the second half of it he'll be on the slide feels a bit arsenal to me but i think maybe kane's an exception to that I also think Kane's all-round ability means that when he drops back as he gets older, he'll be exceptional still. Kane is a, um, well, we're already seeing him as a number 10 this season. He's a, he's a really good one. Kane as a central midfielder would be our best central midfielder. Kane as a central defender would be starting every week. <laughs> so does that hamstring the development of some of our players? Do you think that hamstrings that this team's ability to maybe play for itself more because they know they've got this absolutely superb talent who will basically bail them out? Yeah, just knowing that we've got lots of listeners from the other side of the Atlantic, or different side from the Atlantic from um, from three of us anyway. There's this thing called the Ewing theory, isn't there? Um, this was the basketball player who was so good in his team. Patrick Ewing played for the Knicks. Take it away. The concept was that he, like Kane, was just on a level above the rest of his team. And actually, when he left, it made the other team pull to, the rest of the team pull together and they actually played better. I'm not necessarily sure I'd buy into that. The other thing that I'll, I'll say as well, I've just been making a, you know, a, a list of this. Since I've started supporting Spurs in 1988, Chris Waddle, Paul Gascoigne, Jurgen Klinsmann, Teddy Sheringham, um, some other bloke who played in a red shirt after he left us, Michael Carrick, Dimitar Berbatov, Robbie Keane, Luka Modric, Gareth Bale. They've all been players who have been very, very close to our hearts. We've all loved them and we've all adored them. They've all left us when we hoped that they wouldn't. Ultimately, the club has always lived on. And in, in, in fact, since all of those players left, we've got to a Champions League final and we've been in a title run for the first time in, in nearly 50 years. So, look, I, I think sometimes you have to look at it completely um, objectively and say at some point, Harry Kane will no longer be wearing the number 10 shirt for Spurs, whether that's because he's sold, because he wants to leave or because he retires. There will be a point post Harry Kane that will come up at some point in the future and Tottenham Hotspur will live on and we will still be talking about them. A brilliant point. Superbly put, actually. Uh, really well framed. I don't know if Daniel Levy, even if he there is financial pressure on him, I don't think he can actually afford at this time to let Harry Kane go. I mean, that's the, the brutal truth of it. And I think Harry is too much of a gentleman to force this season. I agree with that. Let's wrap up this Harry Kane section by agreeing. This is probably the beginning of the summer dance with Harry. I think we'll probably be discussing him more. Uh, our next game is on Friday at 8pm. We play Everton at Goodison Park. At one point, I would have said that this was a Champions League six-pointer. But at this point, I think only the greatest optimist uh, ever would consider it any, anything more than a fight for the Europa League. Moby, what do you expect from Friday night? God, <laughs> how do I say something different <laughs> from every previous pod here? Um, I... 2 nil defeat. Gareth? I think, well, Everton have got incredibly poor home form this year. They are, I'm just looking at the table here, I mean, they're 14th out of 20 um, in terms of the number of points they've accumulated at home. So they're not a good home team, but we all know which doctor is on duty on Friday night, don't we? I just don't see what we're going to get any, any different. All the form now suggests that we'll go up there, we'll be all right until we go behind, and then we'll put out a pretty tame defeat, or at best we'll get a one-all draw there. Milo? Well, so they're two points behind us, aren't they, with two games in hand? So, I, you know, you're kind of chase for Europa, Steph. I think even that's um, a bit fanciful, really. We owe them one, don't we? Because the you know, the opening game of the season was... Uh, humiliating. We were, you know, con convincingly outplayed that day. The cup game was entertainingly shambolic. I'd take that right now. Yeah, no, no. Out of the two, I'd take entertainingly shambolic. So, and I think that was a bit uncharacteristic for, um, for Everton because I think they've been as dull as we have for much of the season and uh, kind of ground out results. Um, I'm not very optimistic. Uh, I just think the team looks absolutely shot of confidence. The kind of Mourinho death spiral has begun and we're just limping towards the end of the season, aren't we? Yeah, I, 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 it's it's one of those games where you just look and, I mean, you know, 
a draw seems entirely possible, but then you think they've got Richarlison. <laughs> All of a sudden, you you can see nothing but an Everton win at, at this rate. You know, I I I wonder where I wonder what he goes up there with in terms of a team selection. I wonder who he plays. I I just have no idea. Is he going to switch his defence around? Um, it's very it's it's in, getting increasingly hard to tell. And I think this is the story that is unfolding. And we're going to see this in the closing weeks of this season. We're going to come to this point where we preview the following week's game. And increasingly, there is little to play for other than some sort of pride. Okay, lads, let's just wrap it up and leave it there. Milo, Moby, Gareth, thanks very much for your thoughts on everything this week. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Nice one. Cheers, guys. We'll be back next week with a chat about that game against Everton and some other twaddle, especially given that we no longer have any European football to discuss. I think that is exactly the same thing I said last week. It is, And you know what? It's going to be the exact same thing I say for the rest of the season. So get used to it. For the rest of our mortal lives. (laughs) In the (laughs) meantime... They're still here. We're still here. In the meantime, (laughs) if you like what you hear, why not have a dig through our archives? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, so please give us a follow and say hello. Thanks very much. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Game Is About Glory.